great to be together. And uh, Pastor, just to let you know, Pastor Sue's actually in Sydney. Uh, it's been in Sydney all week. Uh, it's colour conference. And even though there wasn't a physical gathering, she knows a number of the, the girls down that end. And so she's been able to just hang out with friends and, and watch the conference as it went online with them in their lounge rooms, etc. And uh, which sort of brings to mind to me the, the vast difference between Pastor Sue and me and the way that we refresh. When I want a break, I'm like, I become a hermit. You know, I want to go to the coast and get a book that's, you know, you can't read in five days and just, um, you know, ensconce myself either on the balcony or at the beach and, uh, and like hide. Uh, that's just the way that I, I guess I decompress. Sue's exactly the opposite. Even when we were first married, I remember we used to go to Caloundra because like Caloundra is a great place on the north coast, especially when your kids are small. You know, before they discover coffee, coffee shops and Mooloola Bar, get away while you can down in Caloundra. And uh, there's plenty of parks and fountains and all those sorts of things. And, uh, but the, the problem was that it seemed to be back then, you know, in the 90s and the 40s, um, every pastor in southeast Queensland went to holidays in Caloundra and Sue invariably would turn up. She'd go down the beach foraging for people. And would come back with someone for lunch, you know, which would turn into in, intense discussions about the church and leadership. And I was like, thank you, honey. That's just wonderful. And we're so different, you know. Even last week, I was talking to a couple of young uh, husbands and fathers. And uh, we we're just talking at the, at the door there. And we were all sort of agreed that there's this huge temptation to stay up too late at night simply because you want some me space. You know, you just, you've, you've been going all day at work and then all day probably with the kids and getting them to bed and all the rest, and then you sort of get to 9 o'clock and it's like, uh, it's like the day just began for me. Does anyone else? <laughs> Peter's smiling. Um, and so I'll take that smile as a yes. And, uh, you know, I think that's fine. We all sort of want to carve out our own little space. I, I, and I think that's okay. We just need to be careful that that desire doesn't push us to build walls and to isolate from others, to maybe to champion our individual experience over everything, over everything else. And I've been speaking in this series that we're in, the Surrender Series, the whole concept has been that in our journey with God, if you, we want to develop intimacy with God and a, a connected relationship with God, then all along the journey at certain points, we will come to points of surrender. We've talked about surrendering possessions, surrendering uh, our control over different aspects of our life and just trusting God. And, uh, and I think we would all recognise that. If you've walked with God for a while, you sort of recognise, you know, you can sort of, you, you can grow a bit and then you might plateau a bit and then you come to a point of decision where you've actually got to really surrender, let go, trust again. The moment that you do, the intimacy of God explodes back into your world and your journey continues growing. Does anyone else recognise that? I think that's a pattern. One person does. That's encouraging. Come on. A few of you are nodding and smiling. I'll take that as a yes. Uh, come on, this is the awake service, remember? 
And, uh, and, and so today, you know, when it comes to surrender, I want to talk to us about surrendering individualism. Surrendering individualism. And I say individualism, I could use the word selfishness. But I think that that's just too easy a term. And I think maybe it's only the fruit of something much deeper. If I said, okay, who here thinks that we should not be selfish? I would expect every hand to go in the air. Everyone would just go, that is a no-brainer, Chris. Of course we shouldn't be selfish. We agree. Uh, I would hope that's true. There's a few people up the back there. I'm not sure about this. They're hiding up the back there behind the lights. But I think we'd, we'd agree with that readily. And yet there's something, I think, in our society maybe that is driving potential selfishness, the desire to isolate, the desire to create our own space that is much deeper than that. And I want to, I want to speak into this area of individualism. Now, last week, we, I'm going to continue with the verses we started last week. We were looking at Jesus uh, answering a question by a lawyer, by someone who taught the Jewish law. He's, he's answering this question in Matthew chapter 22. And so we're going to read now the story from verses 35 through to 40. And it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then verse 39, which is what I want to focus on today. I want to continue and and close out this sort of section of the scripture. Uh, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this incredibly powerful statement. If you stop and think about it, he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, this is the fulcrum. This is actually the leverage point of everything in the law and the prophets, which to you know, the, the, the Jewish mind of the time was everything that God had spoken, revealed to man, that was the will and heart of God. Everything hinges comes down to this focal point of putting God first and loving people and and I just just want to let us know the question that arises from this and Jesus had to answer it we'll look at it next week but who is my neighbor would you please define how far my love must stretch was the question. So we're going to look at that next week. But just this week, I want to just revisit this passage and finish this last little bit. Last week, we looked at the greatest commandment. You know, put God first. Now, remember that Jesus was answering, these couple of lines were actually the first few lines of a Jewish prayer that's prayed to this day by Orthodox Jews. Uh, the Shema, which was their dedication, personal dedication to God. And, uh, and we looked at the first phrase, which Jesus didn't quote, Hero Israel, and understanding in the original language that to hear was to obey. Same word, a, a very uh, 8,000 words, a very simple language, ancient Hebrew. 
And so different words or, or one word had to carry a number of different meanings. And this is the same for a number of ancient languages where to hear meant to obey. It basically means that if you don't obey what you heard, then you never really heard it. And we're so different in our sort of, I guess, with English, with our, uh, we've got, you know, nearly 300,000 words at our disposal, and we can break things down and fracture things and carve off meanings. And for us, knowledge means a lot. We love to acquire knowledge. Doing it is a separate thing. But for Jesus and Jesus' audience, it wasn't a separate thing at all. If I was to hear, if I could say that I heard, it meant I will show that I've heard by what I do. It has changed my behaviour. And we looked at this and putting God number one. To hear is to obey. Love the Lord your God above all else. And then verse 39, Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And loving your neighbour, this is not a new thing. As we, I tried to bring across last week, so much of Jesus' ministry was simply coming out of a long tradition of how people taught about God, even though Jesus introduced new aspects, put it in different contexts and reinforced things. A lot of it was not new. This was not new. Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. And if you look at it, even right through to the New Testament, particularly that first century, loving your neighbour was a major theme. Every major apostolic figure who writes in the New Testament says something about this. So just as an example, Paul the Apostle in Galatians 5, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. So that's exactly what Jesus said about it. 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Above all, above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. The Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. James Uh, If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love love your neighbour as yourself, you do or you are doing right. I like to put it this way, you are doing all right. You're doing all right. The royal law. So what's a royal law? Well, a royal law belongs to a kingdom. And of course, James is talking to people that we're waiting for and experiencing now the kingdom of God as Jesus came, the spirits poured out. And James is saying, this is a royal law of the kingdom. It always was. And now it should be manifest amongst us. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Acts chapter 2, you see Jesus first followers absolutely enacted this principle the community of the new testament church the jerusalem church those first believers the community was so powerful they gathered they had communion together they prayed together they met needs together they worshiped together continuously 
And that community was a dynamic witness. And and not only did they uh, gather together, they didn't exclude themselves from the society that they were around. They stayed enmeshed. They were exactly what Jesus told them to be. They were salt and light. And because of the community and what was happening amongst them, the Bible says people came to faith in Christ daily, daily. So powerful, that community and practical love for one another. I want you to think about it. You're talking about a church. You're talking about Christians, people who are on the outer of the Roman Empire. And I mean, pretty well everyone who wasn't Roman was on the outer. They were taxed over 70%. They were persecuted for their faith. And yet Acts chapter 2 says there was no need among them. There was something so generous, such an overflow and a sharing of life happening that there was no need among them. No wonder anyone who came into contact with it was influenced by it. They either rejected it vehemently or they joined it. It really, really did work, make people work out where they stood. And I love that whole thought of it, but even though the Jerusalem church had such a dynamic community. By 400 AD, 300 years later, the whole emphasis of Christian devotion had turned to the individual. Piety was seen as being an ascetic that separated themselves from everything else and separated themselves from the world and you know, basically went off on a mountain by themselves to pray. That became the model of Christian piety, which most church historians and theologians believe was probably the influence of the Gentile church, the non-Jewish church that hadn't come up with those traditions. Instead, they'd come from an idol-worshipping background. And in idol worship, everyone is encouraged like they are in modern nations to this day. They're encouraged to have an altar in their own home and practice their own personal devotion. And that had actually influenced the church And maybe just taken us one step away, right back then, from the kind of community that Jesus actually spoke about. The kind of faith that that we're required to practice. If you look at the Jewish community and the, the, the Judaism of Jesus' life and of his day, they had a saying that simply said, the life is in the people. The life is in the people. Uh, there's, there's a number of Jewish prayers in, in their orders of service or their traditional ways that they pray them that can only be recited in the presence of a minyan, what they call a minyan, which is a group of at least 10 adult Jewish men. All the prayers are geared around a community worshipping God, not an individual worshipping God. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus even affirms that when he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Not my Father. I know we can have personal relationship with God, but when Jesus taught us to pray, it seems that the context he expected it to happen in would be together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as a community as we as a community 
forgive those who sin against us. And you can see this whole concept of just being together in community, loving God as the context for working out our faith. And what a contrast modern society is. What a contrast we've got where we've got advertising bombarding us with you, 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 you. We, we live in houses with the biggest entertaining areas that we've ever built houses for in modern history that are rarely used. Or if they're used, they're used with a few family members. They could cater for the whole block, but they don't. And this is not to make anyone feel guilty. This is to help us understand that maybe sometimes, you know, when we talk about, the Apostle Paul talks about, don't let this world squeeze you into its mould. It's so easy for us to think about surface issues like, well, I gave up smoking years ago. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't swear, I don't tell bad jokes or whatever. And as important as those things might be for both your health and for general respect, I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. I think he was talking about far more grassroots issues where the spirit of this age begins to change the filter that we see the whole world with. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mould. There's a different way of seeing. Interestingly, I read a journal, a psychology journal this week as I was researching this, and in the Journal of Cross-Cultural Psychology talks about a study. I love these psychology studies. I mean, who thinks to do a study over 43 years? Psychologists do all the time. So they did this study from 1973 through to 2015, and it was in the US initially, and they were actually looking at the effects of individualism on cultures. The, the effects of people seeing themselves as an island and looking after number one. What were the effects? And indicators of individualism were positively correlated with later onset of work and family responsibilities. The fancy word is a slow life strategy. In other words, but if I could put it this way, people aren't growing up. When they practice individualism, they don't grow up. They don't take responsibility for their life until they're actually forced to, generally when their parents either die or just close the doors and say, get lost. <laughs> and that's an extreme case, but in all honesty, it works its way out in our society in all kinds of ways. It, works, it looks like the young husband who actually neglects his marriage and his children, his family, because he's gaming, or because he's into sport, he's distracted in some other way. Got married, but doesn't want to grow up. Or the young wife who spends her time on the social media while she sits opposite her husband and they drink $8 coffees. The effects of individualism filter down and they stunt the growth of individuals and they stunt the growth of society. And to tell you the truth, we can't say as the modern church that we're immune from it. You know, we gather here by the hundreds. Yeah. But if we're really honest, for many of us, and I find, I, I put myself in this space, I find myself at the front worshipping like I'm worshipping by myself. 
We actually encourage people in worship, forget the person next to you. I know, I know what we're trying to achieve. We, we want people to have an intimate moment with God, but do we understand what we're saying when we say that? Forget the person around. No, no, no. Be very aware. Just be secure enough to be yourself in their presence. Would that not be more of a grow-up moment than here I am and I'm pretending no one's with me? So we're not immune to this. And interestingly, if we go back to the Shema prayer, which is what Jesus is answering the lawyer with, he's answering using this great prayer. And if we go back there, we see that he pulled two statements from two different places in the Torah. In the first five books, he pulls one from Deuteronomy, he pulls one from Leviticus. And then he, he mates them together. Well, that's what was done in the prayer. That's what someone had done. And it was a, a known rabbinic concept as he pulled these two thoughts together. Interestingly, both these thoughts carry the same phrase or the same word that's translated and you shall love wow. uh, and it's uh, let me give it to you it's va ahavta and you shall love and they're pulled together they're in a few places in the old testament not many but these are pulled together very deliberately because it's a uh, uh, it's a rabbinic training tool, concept, principle that they used called Gerizah Shiva, which is basically a composite of equals. Saying the same thing twice, but a different way. We looked at it last week with love your enemies, do good to those who spitefully use you. It's the same thing. You could say do good to your enemies and love those who spitefully use you. It's the same thing. And Jesus brings it together here and he quotes it back to the lawyer using this whole concept. And what he's saying is that this is the one story. This is actually the same thing. You'll love the Lord your God and you'll love your neighbour as yourself. We could put it this way. Jesus was saying, you shall love the Lord your God and you will do it. By loving your neighbour as yourself. That these are one and the same. How do you practically express love for God? I mean, more than words, more than lifted hands. Surely love's got to go beyond that. We expect that in marriage. Love's got to go beyond words. Be a few wives here who've said, I'm sick of your talent saying sorry for it. Just change it. Remember my birthday. I had to. Honestly, I used to say, say to Sue when we were first married, this is, I feel ashamed of it, but I used to say, it's just another day. I only did that for like two years. <laughs> and then I just decided to remember a birthday and things changed. We've got to go beyond words. And how do we do it? Well, Jesus was basically saying, the, the second part of the verse explains the, second, the, the first part of the verse. You want to know how to love God? Love people. You want to know what loving God looks like? It looks like loving people. And that's not as easy as we'd like it to be, is it? Come on, let's be honest. 
you know, this week I was sharing with someone earlier. This week um, I was living this sermon without realising it. Uh, I had a week where, you know, normally I'd like to have my message notes at least through to media. They, they need them by Tuesday and I'd try and meet that deadline, but I struggled. I struggled to get the thoughts down, the concepts down. I knew what I wanted to preach last week, actually the week before that, before I got to this week, but I just had appointment after appointment after appointment. I seemed to keep getting pulled down a rabbit hole of hurting people's worlds. And the funny thing is, I was getting really frustrated with that. And on Thursday, I found myself, I went around to an old friend's place, not in the church, but an old friend, and uh, knew he was facing major health things he's been through, haven't seen him for a while, so I took a lunch hour on Thursday. I thought I'll just drop in and visit him and his wife. And while I was there, another friend arrived, and we got talking about old times, and we were there. So I ended up being there a bit longer than I wanted to be, and I said, look, I've got to go. I've got to get back to work. And the whole time I'm sort of like, oh, this is a bit frustrating. I'm like, I came for a little while. Now I've been here a while. And just as I went to leave, um, th- there was a need there, a care need that needed assistance. And so we both stayed back and that sort of turned into another hour. And honestly, I'm, you know, in the gaps while I'm waiting for when I could help. I'm up in the backyard, answering texts, listening to messages, a couple of quick emails to just keep things, my world flowing along. And I was so frustrated. And it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, this could be the most Christ-like thing you get to do all week, Chris. This could be the most like Jesus you look all week by just stopping to give time and love another human being. So we don't find it easy, do we? Come on, let's, that's just me, cold-hearted me. But here I am. It was like, I, this is my message. On th- I had a revelation. It was like, what I want to preach. God, you expect me to live it? When it's inconvenient? Like, oh, that's the kind of thing I'm happy to do. But just not when I'm busy. Not when I've got another agenda. And, and I think this is why we gather in life groups. It's really hard to work out your Christianity, to love another person, unless you're in close proximity. You know, for me... <laughs> People get sick of small groups or they say, oh, yeah, I've been to one before or whatever. But honestly, it is a very practical way that we can love one another literally within the church and without too because we've got plenty of people who don't come to church in our life groups. It's why we do, quote unquote, and I hate to put it this way, but it's why we do missions. I don't want to do missions. I want to be a missional church. But it's why we do it. And, and to tell you the truth, during this last season, our giving to overseas mission particularly has tapered off a bit. We've been generous in every way. But giving to overseas mission has tapered off. And my only concern with that is, I, I, I wonder whether it's a little bit of COVID colloquialism. You know, we're isolated, we're locked down or borders are closed. And the rest of the world is like out of sight, out of mind. 
I'm just wondering whether it's that. But you know, I don't think we can afford to let that go from out of sight, out of mind to out of heart. Because there's people out there that are doing it a lot tougher than what we are. I was just talking to one of the interns. We haven't resettled refugees for 12 months, which means refugee camps that never would have been a, a good place to be. Well, they'd be doing it a lot tougher than us right now. You know, some of the hidden people, some of the hidden collateral damage of this thing. And we can't afford to close our hearts to humanity. You know, we we rerouted all of our funding and stuff from leadership development and training. We're doing a little bit of that again now, but we, we rerouted that to food and medicine right through COVID. And rather than shrink back from that, I think we need to be able to step that up. Because some people are still really, really hurting. And they'll be hurting a couple of years after we stop hurting. You love God by loving people. Jesus saw it as one and the same. So here's some questions for us to wrestle with. And the first one would simply be, And I've changed the wording of these a bit to reflect my message, but would we honestly rate love for people as important as love for God? As a community, as New Hope Church, would we rate love for God as important on the same level? Or love for people, sorry, on the same level as love for God? Because I think we can fall into the trap of giving it second place. You know, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was and he couldn't help himself. He had to attach a caveat. <laughs> love God, second's like it, love people. It was like you can't do one without the other. That was the whole point. But do we see loving people as like, you know, loving God's up here, and yeah we, yeah, we all agree, just like we agree we shouldn't be selfish. We all agree we should love people. But it's like a poor second cousin to loving God. No, no, Jesus sees it as the same. You love me by loving people. That's how you express it. How do we express our love for God in tangible ways toward others? How do we do that? Think about it. Think about your spouse. Think about your workmates. Think about classmates. Think about neighbours. I mean, Jesus even told us to think about enemies. I'm talking about the easy ones here. But he got to the point where he says, do good to those who spitefully use you. And he was, he was talking to people who were living in a militarily occupied state. So how do we, can, can we just do a quick gauge what does my life look like? How, does, how do, do I express my love towards other people? Maybe a more practical way of asking it is, does the use of our resources, time, talents, money, reflect a love for people? You know, the, our time, which can be, it's so precious. And I understand in a busy world, we want to carve out our own little space. But is there something in my life where I can say that's where I break the bubble and I live for others our talents our abilities the giftedness that God's given us where do I use that to express God's love to humanity and my love 
of God for humanity. My love for God is making me or compelling me to express it in practical ways towards people. Our finances, our resources on every level, whereabouts do they flow out of ourselves into other people as an act of worship? They're great questions to ask, aren't they? You've all gone very quiet, but I know it's because I'm not not preaching to people that need to be converted to this. This moves our hearts because this is who we are. This moves our hearts because it resonates in us. Because this is the way we've always spoken. This is just a simple refresher. And it's also, I hope, helped us to understand maybe areas where the spirit of this age and we've unwittingly fallen into the trap of allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of this world rather than be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what God has for us. Each and every one of us is that we would be transformed because we see the world the way Jesus sees it. We see people the way God sees them. Amen? Hey, stand with me. Stand with me, if you would. And uh, why don't we just pray together? Just open your hearts. Let's just all open our heart right now in God's presence. Father, we want to express our love for you in the most practical ways. Help us. Help us this week be intentional in situations we come across, in moments that we find ourselves in. Help us be so intentional to give people time, a smile, an encouraging word, or a meal that's needed in the moment to love people for your sake. Help us to do it in a practical way. Help us to break free of the moulding effects of this world, the shaping effects of this world and its culture. And help us to be Jesus people culture in everything we do. And friend, if you're here with us today and, uh, you know, God's love for you, maybe that's a new thing. And everything we do, what I'm talking about today, it's just a response to what we've experienced in our life. We've experienced the love of God and we want to respond to that. But maybe the love of God is a new thing for you today. Friend, I want to tell you, He loves you. He knows you. He knows the ups and downs. He knows the journey you've been on and He loves you. And if you want to connect with him this morning, it can be as simple as opening your heart right where you stand. Just opening your heart. Maybe you could use words, simple words like, Jesus, I do want to know you. I do want to know what this is about. I do want to know what it means to follow you. And I open my heart to you today. Do something in me, Lord. Do something in me. And that's the kind of prayer, friend, that God loves to answer. If you've done that, Sarah's going to come and speak to that. Can we thank Pastor Chris as he goes this morning for that message?